everyone and welcome to the Females in Motorsport podcast. Today we have with us someone who is a very familiar face in the F1 paddock and perhaps one of the only few accredited journalists from India, Formula One rider Niharika Gorpare. Hi Niharika, how are you doing today? Good, good, good. You tell me. Good. I'm so excited to have you here. I know we've been talking about this for quite some time. So I'm... I know. I've been wanting to do this for a while now. I know. So I'm happy that we could finally make this work. And I think personally for me, I'm always looking to interview or have people more on the podcast who are from India. I don't really have that luxury right now. So yeah, so I'm very happy to see like a familiar face um, in front of me. So to start with, I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about what your role is as an F1 writer, where you work right now, and what your stories usually focus on. Uh, so my role as a Formula One writer is that of a paddock journalist. I do live Grand Prix coverage. So my work at this stage in my career, it would involve the headlines of the weekend, uh, keeping the F1 section of Sportskeeda alive. Sportskeeda is my employer. Uh, it's uh, partially American and it's an Indian website, Indian and American combined uh, there. And um, yeah, uh, mine is keeping the F1 vertical going with live coverage from Formula One. Um, asking those questions, representing them in the paddock. You've heard me enough of times in press conferences by now. I have. <laughs> uh, yeah. And um, yeah, so that would be that. Then the usual headlines coming out of the paddock, features was my story. But initially when I started out, uh, features were, I used to do more features, columns, uh, news stories were on the back, I mean, back burner more or less. The number mm-hmm. wasn't that high when I started out. But I used to do a lot of tech um, I used to do a lot of the sessions reports and things like that. Hmm. Now it's a combination. I think most of it is uh, the daily headlines, like, you know, whatever's getting out, whatever quote-based stories are getting out of their opinion pieces now and then when I get the time for them. Uh, so, yeah, that's just live Grand Prix coverage, uh, yeah. which requires, like, right from media day on Thursday uh, to post-race on Sunday. Um, I have to make sure that we have got most of this stuff out along with our other competitors like say a planet f1 or other websites like that so my job is basically to keep that going from the battle mm-hmm. and um that would require me to travel about 13 or 14 races a year um i i normally do 70 percent of the calendar that's that's an average that i've done uh since 2015 i guess so uh yeah so i would uh, that's my role now and how long have you been doing this? Uh, this is my ninth season and next year oh my, my tenth season. So yeah, long time. Since Max Verstappen's first season. <laughs> so you yeah. have seen like different drivers dominate. You have yes. seen like the cycle and everything. That's really yeah. interesting. That's really cool. So obviously then you're a regular in the F1 paddock, grid walk, press conferences. I mean, yeah. I obviously follow you on Instagram. I've seen all the work that you do. And I've, I listen to every press conference because I'm a little bit crazy. Yeah. And I always hear you um, ask questions. But I would just want to take a step back for a second. And I'd love for you to describe to me a little bit of the paddock environment. Because the paddock is a place which you know not a lot of people will probably ever get to see. Um, so I would love to get your perspective on like what the environment is like what the energy is like okay so the paddock is more the working area of the paddock that was the back of the garage area behind the pit lane and uh, it's the area in front of the team buildings so um, the paddock will have the media center 
I think some paddocks, circuit to circuit, the layout differs. Some paddocks mm. also have a TV compound somewhere there, uh, right close to the paddock. And you have those two swag gates that go through. And then sometimes some tracks, the media center is inside, sometimes it's outside. But mm. um, we have it comprises of the media center, which will have your press room, your press conference room. Uh, sometimes even the podium cool down room and all mm. of that like attracts in Singapore and you'll have the standard team buildings and the FI building and the F1 building so the layout's pretty much standard uh, track to track and um, yeah it's basically where you have I mean it's a mix of the behind the garage scene and uh, at the front of the uh, team building uh, and uh, that would yeah. have the environment there or the vibe is more like it's a proper, proper working environment. Nowadays, there's there are way too many fans there. So a lot of us kind of, you know, the narrow paddocks, it kind of hampers our work. Mm. Uh, but yeah, tracks like Bahrain, it's open and big. And mm. now the, the vibes is pretty much fun. Um, yeah. And yeah. we're in a work zone there. So we really, um, initially, I remember 2015 when I first walked in through those gates. Uh, that was a whole different feeling. I was, <laughs> My, the first F1 race is a whole different feeling. But now, I mean, I'm almost approximately 100 races through. So that's like a long way. So when you do that kind of a number now, it's like routine. Now, the vibe of the barrack has changed though, I'd say. Now they have a cafeteria or they'll have those cappuccino little areas for coffee and stuff like that. They'll have the TV setups. I think F1 TV will have it, uh, its own setup. You'll have... Um, a form, uh, I mean, Sky Sports have their Sky Pad sometimes somewhere in the paddock. So, yeah, different things like that. And then, obviously, yeah. you have the media pen. Um, if mm-hmm. you've seen it, the TV pen. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, uh, you have a TV pen, which is an entire ring, where you have all those TV guys uh, standing, where drivers go through after the sessions, talk to them. And um, it's followed by another pen, which is a print pen. Uh, it's the outer ring, I think. And um, we have our own time with the drivers too when we're in groups in the print media so I think in some of my pictures you'll see a whole scrum behind me or part of a scrum that would be the print pen uh, but that's right behind the TV pen so that's that and um, yeah that's um, that's about the working area of the paddock and that's how it goes that's amazing thank you so much for painting that picture for everyone um first of all i just realized that you've probably been in the paddock more than some drivers if you've done a hundred races <laughs> Yeah, almost at about 200. I think Max has done yeah. more. No, but some of the drivers, you know, who had shorter careers, you actually might have been in the paddock longer than some of the drivers, which is so interesting. Yeah, but there are journalists. I am probably an average over there because there's journalists who's done 700 plus. There's a club 300, club 500, club 700 in the press room. So I'm still in the young phase of the journalists. I mean, the younger Oh, uh, yeah. So I still come under 35, 35 or under category. Um, there are not many in my group in that press room. So, yeah, that would be that. So, yeah. um, I have two questions based on this. <laughs> One question yeah. would be, I know you mentioned that there are like more fans now. And I actually saw this on F1 TV as well, that in smaller paddocks, yeah. it's becoming more and more difficult for journalists to do their work, which I actually can totally empathize yes. with because it's, it's becoming very at the end of the day, yeah yes. yeah so i what i what f1 was thinking of what i read somewhere was that they may start pulling back on those fan passes or things like that um so yes i'm curious like do you think do you think that's actually that's something that's feasible 
Yes, it, it is because it mm. was like that pre-pandemic. It's only the Miami Grand Prix last year, the inaugural edition, where there were just way too many people in the paddock. And at that point, the pandemic had just started to lift off. I'd say uh, things that started to ease off. That's the first mask-free country I'd gone to in 2022, and there were just way too many people. The crowd density is too much. Drivers don't get their privacy. A VVIP don't feel. I mean, uh, they, even they don't have. They, yeah. I mean, they, you're being snapped around. Um, people like us who are working there, the cameras mm. there, you'll stumble upon. There are some of the narrow paddocks, like Singapore or even Australia, for that matter. It's only a matter of time before there's an accident where you have a, you know, these, where you have a wheel trolley bumping into someone because there are mechanics wheeling those tires and uh, there's this all kind of hustle going on there. So you can limit the number of fans, but I think just having them with free access into that area, a, they have nothing to gain there. Um, because um, unless they're hosted by a particular team and they're in that motorhome or team building, yeah. at least that way they're inside, they're not outside. But um, roaming in the barrack, I don't see how it makes sense because, uh, uh, I mean, it's become troublesome to all of us and we all have been cribbing about it. I'm sure I'm not the first one saying it. I think safety is actually a very good point to highlight because not a lot of people talk about that, but you're right because... Yeah, there are like engineers, mechanics, like wheeling things around, like you said. And if you're a fan, you might not know what that is and you might not know when to move away or, you know, just give them space and things like that. So that's actually a really good point. Even on the grid, I mean, there there are hardly any who actually wear the proper, I mean, even the paddock in the grid, one thing is mandatory, which is footwear. Uh, hmm. when we get up asked one thing is told to us at least pit lane garage or these areas you should have closed footwear how many do you think are wearing closed footwear into the paddock so it's something like that you know these little things here and there even on the grid some grids are super packed I mean we know how we dodging cameras not hitting us or whatever it is uh, but the grid it's understood it will be packed but that is probably, I think, when it comes to the paddock, it's a proper, proper work environment. It's the heart of the sport. It's really intense. And the, as it is, a lot of camera crews in there. And then you have fans. So, yeah, I mean, uh, somewhere I think F1 can reduce it a bit. Uh, that's how it was in 2019. We've had that same system before. Maybe they can revert to the old foul format, yeah. That's really interesting because I feel like there is a struggle right now because there's obviously so many more fans and because of that, there's there's a desire for more access, especially if you compare Formula 1 to Formula E to IndyCar, where there is a lot more access. So my question would be, I know because you've done a bunch of Formula E races as well, how is the paddock environment different in Formula E versus Formula 1? Oh, yes. Uh, the Formula E paddock is far less dense uh, it's very warm but then the garage is also I mean you, if you look at the paddock set up there it's almost made to move uh, set up to the team buildings there is no team building to start with like in Mexico um, where F1 goes uh, it's a whole different you know there are team buildings there's a media center uh, the whole uh, part of the media center almost turns into catering and restaurant mm. uh, everything is quite a stripped down version and the Formula E paddock is only set up on a Friday, I think, or a Thursday, uh, and halfway through the Friday, 
and it's full on a Saturday. Whereas in F1, we have the barrier comes in. It's set. It takes about two days to set it up, if I'm not wrong. Or um, the setup crews go there on a Monday or Tuesday, if I'm not wrong, in some places. Uh, so um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely size-wise, it's huge. Um, it's uh, definitely Formula One is the pinnacle of motorsport. It's always had the it's uh, people's. Uh, I mean, it's always been the ultimate place people want access to. But I think F1 is getting caught in that bit, like you say. Um, and I don't think there are fans who are being let in as such. Fans do have they get to see some of the paddock at some tracks like Abu Dhabi or uh, Bahrain or many of the more. Let's say bigger circuits where there's space. I think most of the guests there are like paddock guests, VIPs. Some people are there for marketing, hosted guests. So that number has increased. It's, um, yeah, that's the bit that is increased. Yeah. I mean, that access is what money can't buy you, actually. You have to be really legit to get paddock access to. So I know I've obviously been following, you know, you, I know your journey in F1 the past couple of years, but what I have seen, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong, I think you are one of the few or one of the only Indian journalists present at F1 races. Okay, so that is true. So why do you think that is? Oh, one, I can totally understand why it is. We did have a larger number. We used to have some boys who used to come and cover uh, for the Hindu, Hindustan Times or whatever. Uh, But I think Indian publications don't want to spend on journalists or spend on sending you out there. Very few are going to want to do that. And then there's also the fact that does a journalist only cover F1? Are they... Are they really inclined of being a proper, proper full-fledged journalist uh, or a full-fledged F1 journalist, only F1 or only motorsport? I mean, when I started out in 2021, uh, I mean, sorry, 2011, when I started out then, um, I was an intern at a car magazine. And invariably, the there used to be a lot of misogyny in the workplace also. So for women there, it was very hard. I think um, back home, we face more of the grind where you face, you know, a bit of the gender dynamic in a workplace because automotive magazines were where we would start, let alone a girl saying F1. Uh, why would they give it to you and not to the boys they had in their workplace? That used to be a dilemma back then. And uh, one was half of them weren't even wanting to cover the sport apart from getting Reuters or AFP feed, agency feed. Uh, they didn't believe in getting exclusive content. They don't mind quoting uh, motorsport.com said this or Daniel said this on there. Or um, uh, Lewis has said this to LA Times. They don't mind mm. doing piggyback journalism when it comes to, um, you know, F1. I don't think there's the eagerness. But now, I, I mean, uh, I think the Indian boys, the, there was used to be me and Abhishek. You might have heard of him, Atakle. So he used to do it with Midday. He has left. That's why I'm the only one left. And then there's Karu, who's in the, uh, who's with Sky. Uh, and yeah, this year I think it's him on TV and me in print. But even if I make the move to TV at some point, then there's literally no one. I don't know who will come and replace me. So that, that, that's that. And uh, I mean, even um, even in the past, I mean, if you really had to look into it, uh, 2018 or 19, the sport wasn't popular. So um, I didn't have an Indian publication sending me to the paddock. I had a Gulf publication doing that for me. I had a UK publication helping me out. So even when I came into F1, the launch wasn't, I mean, the support wasn't from back home. Um, at that point, 
editors back home would say, oh, we don't need F1 stuff. We can get it from whatever. We have a, 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 a group that owns us, has its publication there. We can take shared coverage or whatever. So, I mean, there's been a kind of lackadaisical attitude towards it. They don't know how to even create those jobs and do it the way it really has to. I think it's also a lack of wanting to do that. Though we have the numbers, uh, print content can do well here. Yeah, the population in India is huge. There is such a big market to capitalize on. And I think that, of course, like, you know, F1's had a very, uh, I think the word is tumultuous journey with India, with the Indian Grand Prix, Force India, all of that stuff. Yes, it's all happened. But I think now there is so much more happening with Formula 4, Indian Championship, with RPPL. There's just so much going on that I feel even F1 can capitalize on, the Indian uh, publication market can capitalize on. So it's actually kind of ridiculous, I think. They're doing it, but they're still doing it, copy-pasting other people's work from the paddock. It'll be from the press conference questions I've probably asked, because that's how they're first going to pick up. So it's not going to be exclusive. They don't believe in a paddock presence. Uh, they don't see how that can be valuable to them. So I don't think they see it from that perspective. I mean, even when I started out, back then there was zero journalists in the country doing only motorsport. I stumbled into it when I had a motorsport background. So I'd grown up with carts around me and a cart in a veranda that was getting yeah. tuned while I was sitting and doing other stuff. So that was like right in my house. Uh, but uh, that's how it was. Uh, I mean, I grew up in the motorsport fraternity and then I had the journalism degree. So I could combine the two and um, I could be persistent with it uh, because I knew that that combination was rare in this country. And um, the other part that helped was back then, even when I started with car journalism, I mean, testing cars, reviewing them, that wasn't in my interests. Normally, the boys would get it, knowing how misogyny works in India. Um, you were not going to get to touch any cars beyond hatchbacks, even if you were you had the chance. So invariably, the motorsports would be dumped on me and I used to be happy to take it because I was from a motorcycle background. So the editors would be like, oh, you know, all of them. This is a topic I could write blindly on. Uh, so for me, that's how I became one of, I think I'm one of the first who was doing only motorsport. And I think it was in, I started as an intern in 2011. And by 13 or 14, um, in India itself, uh, covering remotely, I could say, no, I'm only going to write on motorsport. If I want to do journalism, it will be only motorsport journalism. I'll do other work to, you know, make two ends meet. But if journalism is what I want to do, I want to create this niche. And that's what it started with. I didn't really, I didn't have anybody to look to, see your paths, which uh, there was really nobody's paths to follow back then. Whoever had done it before was not from India. They were in the UK or they were based abroad. So that was the disadvantage. And like you said, India and its tumultuous relationship with F1. Um, but I actually started amidst all that chaos. Uh, 2015, there was no Grand Prix in India. It started with, oh, you're Indian and you're female and you're here, but there's going to be no Indian Grand Prix. How are you going to make it work? Uh, so even when I entered the paddock, that was the perception. But then the good part was there was Monisha Kaltenborn. She was a very nice person in the paddock. She was... F1's first chief female boss. She's born here in Dehradun. Uh, that was encouraging. Um, mm. Vijay was there. Force India was there. And um, yes, you had an Indian F1. And Tata Communications has always been there. In some way or the other. 
yeah uh and the tata name has been there in many ways so um that was encouraging yes that is indian presence in the sport it wasn't like i wasn't alone now yes it's the sport has boomed back home but in the print section or tv it's just what it is and we're just sailing through i guess I definitely think it's 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 really interesting the way that media in India is uh, approaching Formula One because, of course, now there's no broadcast partner either. This is the first time in I don't even know God knows how many years. Like I think, I think I actually did look into this. It was about twenty years or something that there's the first time there's no broadcast partner. Um, of course, it's F1 TV, which is I mean I personally use F1 TV. Of course, I live in New York. I have multiple options to watch. I think it's one of those really, um, really interesting uh, programs to come out of F1 because the the yeah. way they're creating content, it's very, very focused on what fans really want to hear, what they really want to know more yeah. about. They have really good, you know, obviously driver interviews. They have really good tech coverage. Like they've really been able to cover the gamut of not even F1, but even junior series. Yeah, cover all of it. Yeah, yeah. So it's really been really interesting. But... So I was going to ask, um, do you think not having a broadcast partner like Star Sports has impacted India at all or is it still is it still all well and good? Okay, so the last time India got proper F1 coverage with, you know, a pre-show and a post-show was I think when ESPN Star Sports used to have the coverage. It had a collab with ESPN and uh, I think it was ITV broadcast, uh, I mean the commentary, and um, you had Alex Jung, Paula Malayali, she's the one I watched and when I was a child and I used to be like, I want to be her one day. So that's that's where it started actually. And yeah, we'd had that broadcast, uh, we have had it like ESPN Star Sports combination was good, we had a pre-show, you had a post-show, and uh, that kind of coverage um, actually educated an audience about the tyres, strategy, just everything. The uh, mechanical side of the sport too. But then later it became like, um, I mean, it travels to um, Star Sports just giving you a half taste of the sport, which was a lights to podium package, which was the cheapest package you get if you have bought the rights of the sport or have subscribed to those. Uh, and that is that was problematic at that point i was pushing for f1 tv pro i was like this should be there side by side along mm-hmm. along with uh, the feed on North star and um star sports but they can, then again if you look at it um star sports is still paid but the only difference is you have other sports available on star sports f1's never been on free to air in india it's always been on pay tv and uh, i mean if i don't i think you could induct new fans while people are flipping through a uh, flipping their channels through but i think in the ott age that we live in f1 tv might actually work because now when you're looking at the young generation coming up there's so much of information on f1 tv pro Mm -hmm. we've had it all season this year and fans are liking it it hasn't had a negative review um they're getting full access they're getting the grid walks they're getting the pre and post they're also hearing me in the press conferences so we didn't have that before that's a great point So in the broadcast deal, I think what has happened is there was a whole negotiation process and it's not like the rights had become more expensive from what I heard is the rights of, uh, you know, they were negotiating and Star Sports wanted to renew that, but at a lower price, I'm told. Now I could be wrong on this, but they didn't want to pay the existing price. And um, in that negotiation, it went on and on and on. And um, that just didn't fall through. 
I think they're still looking for a telco, maybe a tech partner and a proper broadcaster. Uh, but that will be now for next season. That's why you have this interim year. I, I don't think it was the fault of the figures hadn't dropped as such. I'm seeing flights packed like Bahrain, uh, Singapore, uh, Abu Dhabi, or even uh, flights from Bombay to wherever, Baku. That's Indian fans in merch on the flight. And I think it's more this year than it was in 2022. And um, I'm seeing Singapore. I mean, we, we might not have an Indian Grand Prix, yes. But look at the choice we have. Uh, would I go Bombay to Delhi in Greater Noida and watch a Grand Prix there? Or the same flying time and I'm in the Middle East and I have all luxurious options. I have Bahrain, which is not very expensive. Then you have Abu Dhabi, you have Saudi, you have Qatar. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Indians don't lack a variety even around them. And Indians like traveling. And Singapore Grand Prix is, I think, the bulk of it is a lot of Indians. Yeah. No, I think you highlighted two very good points that Indians do like traveling. It's very much in our culture, especially in the uh, upper middle class and upper classes. And I think I've actually heard this before as well, that domestic flights are the same amount of time, sometimes the same same price. Why would you do that? Why would you not want to explore a different country while you're at it? Um and I know this process has changed quite a bit, but I want to know from you a little bit about the accreditation process as a journalist in F1 and A, how that's changed and also B, just a little bit about how to even get there with F1 to, you know, even have the kind of uh, credentials to be able to apply for accreditation. Firstly, I think the accreditation process is of two kinds. You have TV, which is done by form. Uh, Formula One management for radio and TV that they accredit that um, and um, they have the mm-hmm. I mean whatever they have the distribution for those passes but the print and the digital media which is um, websites it's all under the FIA and the process of accrediting uh, yourself for that would require to go through your publication and that would mean finding a, co- a publication with a paddock present if it's publication that's not in the paddock, then those numbers have to meet a certain criteria, your readership, circulation, or your website numbers, your traffic, and your clicks and your reads, depending on FI's uh, demographic, they need a certain demographic for that. Um, previously, in the old days, they also vetted the journalist, um, like we had to submit that I've been writing on F1 for so many years and submit previous work that no, I'm a legit journalist, um, uh, and that would be checked. Um, Now, for new journalists, I don't know how it is because I've been doing this for a while. Um, So, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know how it is now uh, because back then with the FIA was very, very strict. We had to submit in almost a portfolio and build up a profile for over a season or two where every session report was covered. That those days I would do free practice reports, uh, qualifying reports, race reports. Nowadays, I not necessarily double into that kind of writing because... I don't need to do it. Uh, yeah. And, um, so, yeah, that was mandatory back then, that your website or you are covering um, every session and that you have understanding of it. And, um, yeah, that you're a legit journalist. You're not just looking in for access into the sport. So back then it was strict. And websites mm-hmm. were rare in the paddock. Uh, print had more clout. Um, the websites were lesser. They were more stricter with the websites coming in. Now uh, it's fairly lax. I'd say, with the websites. 
Uh, there are a lot of websites there. There's Planet F1, there's us, there's race fans, UB fans, the works. Uh, but they are kind of cracking down on the passes to and the access. And uh, the other way to get in is, I think, if you have, like, if you're a Mexican Grand Prix, then if you're a Mexican journalist, there's a quota of a national journalist. That's the other way. Yeah. And that, that goes to the national press officer and FI, a combination of the two. So, yeah, that's that. And once you're in the system, then you kind of, uh, FI has its portal and, um, I mean, you can apply race by race. And um, it requires you, if you want to go permanent, which is the all-season access, then either your publication has it before, uh, have, uh, hmm. or they've been there in the paddock where they've racked up those mini Grand Prix and that kind of coverage in the sport. Or um, you get it for your publication by at least doing 70% of the races or 70% of the calendar, I would say, put it that way. So permanent pass would mean uh, 70% of the calendar, yeah. That's really helpful because I think a lot of people are very confused about the different kinds of accreditations and um, we get a lot of questions on our um, on our Instagram DMs about it. So this was really, really helpful. All right. Well, before we wrap, we're going to do one of my favorite parts of this podcast, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Rapid Fire, where I will ask you three questions and you just have to say the first thing that comes to your mind. So, number one, what is your favorite answer from a driver or a team principal that you've ever received during a press conference? Oh, there are quite a few. They're, they're, this one's hard because there are quite a few. Over the weekend, it's almost a churning mill. So, there's like quite a few things thrown around. I think Toto gives a few good bombs now and then. That's good. Uh, um, last year we had a lot of the cost cap crossfire which was fun uh, but I think, I think this year I put it season specific like this year the most recent good answer that I pulled out of a driver's mouth more or less was probably Lando uh, I think that's still a, um, it's still trending on um, uh, Lando talking about Max I think Sky had done an interview with Max and Max had mentioned that he and Lando talk very often about partnering each other as teammates and I had asked Lando that, what is your take on it? And then, yeah, he talked about how he invites Max to McLaren and all of that. He's invited Max to McLaren or whatever. So I felt that one was good. Yeah. If you could go back in time and ask a driver who's yeah. no longer on the grid a question, what would it be? I mean, who would it be and what would you ask? I think it would be to maybe to Seb about his Ferrari stint mm -hmm. because I think when my first season Seb and I were I mean it was Seb's first year with Ferrari that year and um, there was this great hope going into it where he was going to be their title contender mm -hmm. so on and so forth and I think that stint was a bit odd yeah. um, so I would want to ask him is there anything you could have done differently yeah. because I think that his career there they had a good car um and there was, I mean, I guess he didn't capitalize on it as one would have expected it to, uh, him to. So, yeah, I would like to ask him, you know, for at least in 15, 15, they might not have had the car, but 17, 18, they had a good car. So what would he do differently then to challenge Lewis or maybe even Rosberg before that for a title? So that was, yeah. Yeah, I, I would love to hear the answer to that question. So I hope you do get to do that sometime. Um, and then finally, you've had a really tremendous career in Formula One. You, this is your literally like you were saying, you're still like in the younger category. Yeah. But I would love to know 
what is the best piece of advice you have ever received from anyone? I think to never take no for an answer, to keep persisting, be relentless, uh, and never settle for less. That's always been the case. No, I love that. I think it's so important because, because especially in a world like F1, which is so competitive, you do need to be more persistent and, you know, just um, keep your keep your, keep your your foot in the door. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much, Niharika, for joining me on the podcast today. It was so fun learning more about your experience, also just more about the F1 paddock, the world of media. So thank you so much for sharing all those little tidbits with us. It was a pleasure.